God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. And thanks so much for coming. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there. So we bring that service to you wherever you are, anywhere in Israel, anywhere in the world. We have people from all over the world tuning in to watch these services. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to the book of Genesis? Of course, that's where we're teaching, and we're over, way over halfway through the book of Genesis. We're in the second half now and going along pretty good. And open in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 30. That's where we're going to be today. And as you know, we'll also put those verses up here for you in the video just to make it easier for you to follow along. I'd like to talk to you today about the hidden story, the hidden story. There are some stories in the scriptures that are obvious what they're talking about. In Hebrew, we call that the pishat, the simple and obvious interpretation of the story. There's other things that are hidden a little bit. It says in the scriptures that the Lord likes to conceal a matter, and it's the glory of the Lord to conceal a matter and the honor of a king to discover it. So we hope you're going to be living lives like kings and trying to discover the truths of God. We're continuing to look at the life of Jacob, and last week we started looking at his two wives, Leah and Rachel, Rachel as you would say in English. And there was a bit of contention between the two wives and each one of them wanting to have Jacob all for themselves. And today we see the conflict as each of them tries to have more babies than the other woman in order to win their husband's love. It's a strange chapter in a lot of ways and it reveals a great deal about human nature. Competition, contention, dissension, arguing and and hiding things from each other and trying to get things from the other person and it reveals a great deal about human nature. But there's also a hidden treasure in this story that we'll discover at the end of the message. I can't wait to get to that. So let's begin looking at Genesis 30 by looking at the start of the chapter. And starting in verse 1 of Genesis 30, it says, Now when Rachel saw that she bore Yaakov no children, Rachel envied her sister. And she said to Yaakov, Give me children or else I die. And Yaakov's anger came up against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Now, probably as we look at this situation, Rachel is looking at Leah, her sister, and remember that Jacob wasn't supposed to marry Leah. He was supposed to marry Rachel. That was the deal that he had made with Laban, their father. He said, I'd work for you for seven years for Rachel because he wanted her as his wife. And it says that he worked those seven years and it only seemed like a few days for him because he loved Rachel so much. But on the night that Laban was supposed to bring his daughter to Yaakov in Yaakov's place where he stayed, it was all dark and the custom was was that the married daughter was going to be dressed from, covered from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. I'm not talking about a burqa or something like in Islam. I'm talking about these beautiful garments that they put on, as you've seen some of the uh, Israeli women wear and, and, and some of the stories about them as they perform and dance and everything like that. It was beautiful. But you really couldn't tell much because the person's face was covered with a veil, you see, and everything was covered. It was beautiful, beautiful colors, but it was all covered. And Yaakov didn't know until in the morning that Laban had tricked him and really brought his daughter Leah, who wasn't beautiful like Rachel was. In fact, the Bible said she had weak eyes. We don't really know what that means. Is maybe the eyes had some problems of focusing, or may, maybe I don't. Maybe she was cross-eyed. I don't know. But anyway, 
she had some problems with her eyes and said her eyes were weak. Some people even think that because all of the Jewish people in that time had brown eyes or darker eyes, maybe Leah had blue eyes or something, and they perceived that to be different, and they didn't like that so much. And so they, they said she had weak eyes, but Yaakov would have spotted the difference had it been in the daylight, but the custom was, was to bring the bride on their honeymoon night, was to bring the bride to the, the, the groom, and it would all be dark at that time, so he really didn't know. He woke up the next morning, and the scripture had said, and behold, it was Leah. <laughs> I can't say that with enough excitement and exclamation mark at the end of that sentence. Imagine that. He spent the night with this lady and everything, thinking this is Raquel, whom he had worked for for seven years, and he woke up in the morning, and the sun's up, and he looks over, and it, whoa, it's Leah. It's her sister. It's not Rachel at all. And then he says, what have you done to me, Laban? You promised that I'd work seven years, and then you'd give me your wife, Rachel. But you've given me Leah instead. And so now, put yourself in the middle of that situation. Here's Leah, who has been brought by her father, Laban, and given to Yaakov. Now, no doubt she liked Yaakov, and... She was wanting to be married too, but think about this. We don't know what conversation went on between Laban and his daughter Leah. All we do know is that Leah apparently went into the tent where Yaakov was, and she never told Yaakov that she was Leah. She pretended to be Rachel. Does that sound familiar? Remember, Yaakov was running for his life from Esau, his brother, because he had stole the blessing that was meant for Esau. He had stolen it by convincing his father, who couldn't see anymore. He convinced his father that he was Esau and not Yaakov. He lied about it. He lied about who he was. Now, he's the victim of the lie. And Leah who has now come to him at night, being taken there by Laban, her father, is not saying a word. She could have said to Yaakov, listen, before we do this, I, I want you to know I'm, I'm not really Rachel. I know it's dark. You can't see anything. I'm her sister Leah. And he, he could have, she could have told Yaakov the truth, but she didn't. And when you withhold the truth, well, guess what? That's a lie. That's a lie. No matter how much you try to cover it up or justify it, it's a lie. So Leah was part of the lie. And Yaakov had just been lied to. Yaakov had stolen the blessing meant for Esau. And that was something that was going to affect Esau's life. And now he's worked seven years to marry Rachel. And Leah comes in, and Laban, they're both complicit in this lie. And basically, they're both lying to Yaakov because Yaakov thinks Rachel is going to come in that night, but it turns out to be his sister. And his sister, or her sister, Leah, never told Yaakov that she wasn't Rachel, that she was really Leah, Rachel's sister. So Yaakov had been the one deceiving and lying before, he left home, and now he's being hurt. He's the victim. He's the one being lied to, and he's getting, a, uh, he's getting familiar with how that feels to have someone lie to him and affect the rest of their life because of that lie. And then he had also withheld food from his brother Esau until he uh, uh, sold him his birthright, which meant he would have gotten twice as much an inheritance as the next older child. And Yaakov was the younger. Esau was the older. He was born first. But then he stole that. He didn't really steal it, but he didn't give food to his hungry brother who was close to fainting because of his hunger. Instead, he insisted on Esau giving him his birthright in exchange for a bowl of red stew. Later in life, 
all the people around the place there would call Esau Adom, Edom. And they would call him Edom. If you think about that, the Hebrew word for red is Adom. They call him Edom. It's just a variation of red. It means like it's it's kind of a it's kind of a insult to him. Hey, red, what are you doing? This is the guy that sold all of that wealth and birthright for a cup of red stew, a cup of red soup. But Yaakov should have fed his hungry brother. God would have done that. He tells us to do that. But Yaakov didn't. He tried to get something out of it, and he took advantage of Esau's situation. And now Laban is taking advantage of Yaakov's situation. Here he is far from home. He's already worked seven years. Laban starts thinking, well, I know. I have a plan. I can get him to work seven more years for me. I won't give him Rachel after those first seven years are up. I'll give him Leah, and he won't even know it until they're already married. So Laban is treating Yaakov the same way that Yaakov treated Esau. In his moment of need, in the time when he was of need of compassion, he took advantage of his brother Esau. And in the same way, in, in Yaakov's moment of need, Laban, in Yaakov's moment of need, took advantage of that need and then tried to get seven more years from him because he knew that Yaakov loved Rachel. And so Rachel would be his wife. And, and so Laban said, no, no, no. We, we don't do that like this in this country. We always marry the firstborn first and then the younger one. Well, that's nice. It's handy that he came up with that story after the fact, after the lie, after Yaakov had already worked seven years for Rachel, and Laban had agreed to that, and now he's changing the rules. As we would say, he's moving the goalposts. He's changing the rules. And so now we see this situation where Yaakov is working seven more years for Rachel. But that's not the end of the situation, is it? There's two wives now. He only intended for it to be one, and oh, by the way, he loved Rachel, it didn't say he loved Leah. He had never thought that he was going to marry Leah. That was all part of a lie. But here's Leah and Yaakov married now because they consummated the marriage with uh, sexual relations and the honorable thing to do was to have that marriage and honor it. So they're both together, but Yaakov now has Rachel too. And Rachel and Leah are sisters. And there's a lot of jealousy. There's a lot of envy. There's a lot of hurt. Leah didn't tell Yaakov the truth that night. She lied by not telling the truth. You see, you can lie by omitting the things that need to be said, too. You can let a person be deceived by what you don't say as well. So that's the situation. And the two victims over there, three victims actually, one was Yaakov. He had been lied to. He got Leah. He thought it was going to be marrying Rachel. Now Leah is the one who has to go through this marriage, seeing her husband Yaakov not really love her. Yaakov doesn't love her. He never did love her. But he was tricked into marrying her. And so now Leah is hoping that maybe she can change him. Maybe she can attract him. But she's not as attractive as Rachel is, her younger sister. And, and so she tries to think, and she's thinking this through, and she starts thinking, well, I know. I'll have children for him, and then he'll be drawn to me because of the children that I have. So we saw last week in chapter 29, at the end of chapter 29, that Leah had four children, four sons, Reuben. Shimon, remember that's how we say uh, Simeon or Simon in Hebrew, Shimon. So you had Reuben the firstborn, Shimon, Levi, which you would say is Levi in English, and then Judah, or Judah as you would say in English, Judah. 
She had the four and she thought for sure that these would cause her husband to finally love her and attract him away from Rachel and to her because she was having sons for him and sons were very important and children were very important. And culture at that time thought that if you couldn't have children and plenty of them, that it was some sort of a curse or something on you. And so they, she wanted to show her husband, Yaakov, that she was having children for him. Now we get into this chapter today. And we see this first verse that Rachel sees that Leah is bearing children and Yaakov had no children through Rachel. It says, And Rachel envied her sister and said to Yaakov, Give me children or else I die. And like we read, Yaakov's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, Am I in the place of God? He's the one who's withheld the fruit of the womb from you. You know, probably for the first time in her life, Rachel probably envied her older sister Leah. Because Leah had given four sons now to Yaakov. And Rachel couldn't have children. Like I said, in that culture, that was considered a curse at the time. And Rachel thought this was so serious that she'd die if she didn't have children. Interestingly enough, if you know the story of Rachel, later in life, as they're traveling along, Rachel did die giving birth to her youngest child, Benjamin, which you would say in English is Benjamin. She thought she'd die if she didn't have children. But it was childbirth that actually did kill her eventually. You know, maybe the reason that God didn't allow her to have children at that time was because God knew that she would not be able to have children without it being a danger to her own life. But sometimes we insist. You know, we should commit our ways to the Lord and let Him direct our path. He has reasons for doing what he's doing. He knows the future. He knows all the hidden facts of the situation. It's better to trust our lives with God than to try to steer our lives the way that we think that they should go because we don't know the future. We don't know all the other facts and the circumstances. We might be doing something that is going to bring harm to us something that could actually even take our life. It's better to give it all to God and let Him steer you through life. But then Raquel says in verse 3, as she's talking to Yaakov, she's mad and, and he replies, I'm not God. I can't give you children. For some reason, He's withheld the fruit of the womb for you. And so she just quickly comes up with this other plan that she just came up with. And she said in verse 3, Here's my maid Bilhah. You go into her, have sexual relations with her, and she will bear a child on my knees that I may have children by her. Then she gave him Bilhah, Bilhah her maid, as wife, and Yaakov went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Yaakov a son. Then Rachel said, See, God has judged my case, and he's also heard my voice, and he's given me a son. Therefore she called his name Don, that means judge, or judgment. And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again, and bore Yaakov a second son for Rachel. Then Rachel said in verse 8, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali which means to wrestle, okay? And so basically we see what's going on here. And Raquel comes up with this plan for her maidservant, or the, the female maidservant there, to be a wife to Jacob. And then she said she would have the baby on my knees. That means that Bilhah, as she was pregnant and giving birth, would sit down on the knees of Rachel and have the baby, and that would be for Rachel. The maidservant, Bilhah, would be the biological mother, but the other mother would be Rachel. And since Bilhah worked and served uh, for Rachel, this is what she was commanded to do, and this is what she did. Now, you may say that's terrible, but really, 
what happens today with a surrogate mother. You have a couple who can't have children. And you have a situation where the wife can't have children. And so they, they take uh, the sperm of the, of the father and they impregnate a lady who has agreed to carry the baby and become pregnant by this, by this, uh, this sperm that's been given to by the father. And it can happen in a lab. It, of course, it can happen different ways. But anyway, the surrogate mother, a lady who is just a, a stranger, agrees to have a baby for them in exchange for this much money or, or something that she's trading for this. And so they pay her to be the surrogate mom and carry this baby for nine months and then to have this baby. And after, they ha after she has the baby, she gives it over to the woman and her husband who could not have children. And then the baby becomes part of their family. The biological mom was still the surrogate mother. Well, that's not so different than what's happening now in Genesis chapter 30, is it? She's a surrogate mom, but she's not of her own free will either. She's, she's servant for Rachel. She's a maidservant for Rachel. So her job in life is to go with Rachel through life, to serve her, to go with her all the time. And there's good things to that. There's bad things to that. No one wants to be a servant and being a servant except for the Lord. You want to be a servant for the Lord and you want to serve other people. But no one wants to be a slave. And so anyway, back then though, this was a, a part of the regular culture and the economy. It was a common thing to do, not just there, but throughout the whole known world at that time, no one thought of that as, as anything bad. In fact, many of the servants tried to get put into the community of a reputable person who was known for being kind to people. And then he would take care of all of their needs, their food, their clothing, everything. That was their job. And then in exchange, this person, a benevolent hearted person would take care of all of their needs. Abraham, the grandfather of Yaakov was like that. And he had servants who, who served him faithfully and, and were very loyal and they liked being around him. And many of them chose to join them and be with him. And then Abraham's son, Yitzchak, Yaakov's father, was the same way. And now Yaakov is familiar with this culture. Well, even after he went back to Padanaram, where uh, his mother, Rebekah's brother, Laban, lived, he went back all that distance from there. And even that far away, they had this culture also. And then as a wedding gift, they would assign one of these maidservants to the bride who was going to become married. And so Bilhah was assigned to Rachel. And other ones were assigned to Leah. And so now Rachel can't have any children on her own. And so she says to Jacob, use my maidservant and she can have the baby on my knees. And that was the, that was the custom at that time for a surrogate mother, and then the baby would belong to Yaakov and Rachel. And the maidservant would have done this as a surrogate mom. Now we look at this situation, and it's not so different than it is today, but I want you to pay close attention as we go through the message today at the names. Now remember the last week, Leah had four sons, Reuben, Shimon, Levi, and Judah. Remember their names, what they meant? Reuben, Reuben. It means, look, a son. See, a son. Ben is, is how we say son, Bevrit or Hebrew. Uh, Ru'e is, I see. Lirot is, I want to see. That's a part of where Ru comes from. Ru, see, Ben, a son. See, a son, that's Reuben. Shimon, taken from the same word as Shemea. Are you listening? Can you hear? Lishmoa, to hear. And she's saying, God heard my cry that I would have a baby. And so she called it 
called the baby Shimon. You say Simon is what it says in my Bible, but remember the S in Hebrew can either be a S sound or a SH sound. It can look like an S or it can look like an SH. Same letter, just whether a tiny little dot is on the left side of the top of that letter or the right side of the top of that letter. Shimon, the Lord heard me. Levi is because she said the Lord has, has now made it to where I will become attached to my husband, Yaakov. He wasn't attached to her. He wasn't staying with her. He didn't really love Leah, and she wants him to love her. She's in this situation because of her lies and because of her father Laban's lies. So Levi met attached. Then Yuda, she gives up on all these other things, and she says Yuda means praise. So she named him Judah. And so now he's pray, she's praising the Lord. And that was the custom of the day. You see, you would name the children names that meant something. Like I've told you many times, Hebrew names mean something. But now we see Rachel naming the children of her maidservant Bilhah. And the first one, she names him Dan. I know it says Dan but it can, it's pronounced as Don or in Hebrew. Anytime you see an A there, you pronounce it as Ah, uh, like the A in Father. So what you see as Dan is actually pronounced Don. And it actually means judge or judgment. And because Rachel named the child Don because she said, God has seen my situation and has ruled in my favor. And then in naming her second son, also by Bilhah, she, she said she named him Naphtali, which means wrestling. Because she says, I'm wrestling with my sister for my husband to see who gets my husband. And my sister has four uh, sons already, but I'm catching up. This is now two. And my sister and I are in a childbearing contest. <laughs> what a contest. I mean, go play football or something. Don't have babies, you know. It's amazing what, what happens in this chapter. Then we read in verse 9. 9 through 11, it says, When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, Leah stopped having children, Leah took her maidservant, Zilpah, and gave her to Yaakov as a wife. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Yaakov a son. Then Leah said, A troop comes. So she called his name God. Now, I know it says Gad, and that's fine if you want to pronounce it like that. We're not saying it's G-O-D. G-A-D, remember I say the A is pronounced as Ah. So the word for God is Elohim. Or, you know, they use Hashem sometimes, but it's Elohim, you know, and I, that's how they say God, Bevrit, or in Hebrew. So she named this one as God, because G-A-D in Hebrew means a troop. It was her way of saying reinforcements are coming. And she knew she was in a battle with her sister Rachel. She had had four children, then she couldn't have any more children. Then Rachel used her maidservant to have two children. Oh, well, she's catching up to me. I better do something. So Leah takes Zilpah, her maidservant, and then lets her be a surrogate mom for Yaakov as well. So she has a child, and of course the, the, the real mom, uh, the, the a mother who's married to the husband, Yaakov, gets to name the child. She named him Gad, G-A-D. And because she said, a troop comes, and what she was really saying, reinforcements are on the way. I'm going to beat my sister, basically. And then it says in verse 12, Leah's maid Zilpah bore Yaakov a second son as well. And Leah said, now I'm happy. The daughters are going to call me blessed. So she called this child's name Asher. And even today, Bevrit in Hebrew, throughout the Psalms, every time you see the word blessed is, you're reading the word Asher. Asher ha'ish, blessed is the man. Okay, so basically she's saying blessed is the name of this child because now all the daughters of this land will, will look at me with all these children and they'll call me blessed. And so she named this child Asher. It also means rich in Hebrew society today too, in Israeli society. 
So Asherai, Asherai, Asher, all part of the same word to be blessed, if you will. And naming the son like she did, here's the reinforcements coming, now I'm happy and all of this, I'm beating my sister basically is what she was saying. It was a cultural sign of blessing to have children. And Rachel only had these two, and even those two she only had because of her maidservant, Zilpah. I'm sorry, Bilhah. Now it says in verse 14 through 16, Now Reuben, remember, see a son? Reuben went in in the days of wheat harvest. He was out in the fields, and he found mandrakes in the field. No, that's not rakes that a man uses when he works in the field. A mandrake is a small fruit in the Middle East. And it says, He found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to Rachel, Is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Why would you also take away my son's mandrakes as well? And Rachel said, So, therefore, my husband will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. And it says in verse 16, When Yaakov came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him. Look at what she says. She says, You must come in to me tonight, for I've surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And so he went in and lay with her that night. Imagine that. One wife buying the privilege from another wife of being able to lie with a husband that night, one after the other. And he's saying, no, you got to go over here tonight. No, I did this, so now you go over here tonight. And he goes, wait a minute, who's my wife? But look at what Leah said in these verses. She said to Rachel, said, Is it a small matter for you that you've taken away my husband? Hmm. Who took away whose husband, Leah? He worked for Rachel. He wanted to marry Rachel. He thought he was going to marry Rachel. He thought it was Rachel that he was with that night, but it was you, and you didn't say anything otherwise. So you basically, you lied to him, and you were part of your father's lie as well. And now, Ra now Leah is telling Rachel, Is it a small matter to you that you've taken away my husband? Actually, Leah, it was you that took away Raquel's husband. And then she says to Rachel, would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Now, what's the deal about mandrakes? What's going on with a mandrake, you know? A mandrake, like I said, was a small fruit in the Middle East. It was a, it was a rare plant of Middle Eastern origin. It grew close to the ground, kind of like a strawberry vine. Its white blossoms would be round, and then red fruit, which looked like small apples, would grow from it. And the people believed these to be an aphrodisiac. In other words, if you eat it, it would make somebody love you. If you ate it, it would make you lovable. And it would make people want to be attracted to you. And that was the culture, and that was what they thought at that time. So here Reuben finds these mandrakes. Rachel sees them. She goes, that's what I need. That's what I need because it was also believed to help women's fertility, help women be able to have children. Well, Rachel couldn't have children. So Rachel saw these mandrakes. She's going, give me some of those mandrakes. And Leah said, you've taken away my husband now. You want the mandrakes too? They both knew that it helped in fertility. They're having a baby war right now. Mandrakes is very valuable to them, you see. And it would make them be lovable, and they're fighting for who gets the heart of their husband, Yaakov. So mandrakes were very highly valued. Then we read in Genesis 30, verse 17, it says, God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Yaakov a fifth son. So she started having children again. After the first four, Reuben, Shimon, Levi, and Judah, she wasn't able to have any more and stopped having them for a while. And then she had her servant, maidservant Zilpah, had two children uh, with Yaakov being the father, and uh, Zilpah was a surrogate mom. But now God listened to Leah, and Leah herself conceived again. And she bore Yaakov a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I've given my maid to my husband. 
She thought that giving Zilpah to Yaakov is something that God approved of. And that's why God allowed her to have a baby again. So she named this baby's name Issachar. Issachar. That's hard to say because you got that ch sound bivrit or Hebrew. It's not like k. You can say Issachar. But he's not a car. He's a, he's a little boy. <laughs> Just kidding. Issachar. Issachar is that sound like a K and an H or a C and an H together. Not ch, but ch, like a K-H together. Kind of like something at the back of your throat. Get used to that and you'll learn how to say it. His name was Issachar. And she named him Issachar because his name means hired or wages or serving for something. Then verse 19, then Leah conceived again and bore Yaakov a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me. He will live with me because I myself have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterward, she bore a daughter called her name Dina. Dina. So she called his name Zebulun. Well, Zebulun means to dwell or live with. And so she said, I've borne my husband so many sons now, surely he'll come and live with me. Sad commentary on that marriage, huh? Her husband wasn't living with her. He was living with Rachel. He was the one he intended to marry all along. So Leah doesn't feel loved. When you lie and you deceive and you base life on your lies and your deceptions, don't be surprised if your lies come back and rob you of any joy that you had from the lie. You may have a temporary victory from a lie or a deception, but over the long trip, that lie is going to come back to haunt you many, many times, and you're going to be sorry that you lied and deceived. It would have been better for her to be honest with Yaakov that night. But she wasn't. She pretended to be Rachel. And now she's trying to win a husband who never really loved her, who's not staying with her. And then finally she has this girl named Dina. Dina is her name. So you see how Rachel is trying to get the mandrakes because she thinks that's going to enable her to get pregnant. And yet it turns out that Leah gets pregnant instead. Isn't that the way it is? We scheme and we plan and we connive only to see the opposite of what we intended actually happen. It's better to give life and its plans to the Lord. Now, we saw that Leah named Issachar, and so that meant to hire. She was paid back for her reward. She for giving her handmaid to her husband. Zebulun meant habitation. So now she hopes that her husband will live with her. Genesis 30, verse 22, 24, as we begin to wrap up now, it says, Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her, and he opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Yosef. I know it's Joseph, but remember, Beavrit, in Hebrew, you don't have the J sound. It's pronounced as a Y sound. So Yosef is how you pronounce the Hebrew name in Hebrew. Joseph. She called his name Joseph or Yosef and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. Because Joseph means add to. Add to and bring another and bring another. You see, that's what the name means. Joseph means the Lord's going to give me another. The Lord's going to bring another. So finally, Rachel has a baby. And what does she say in naming him Joseph? May God give me more. <laughs> you know, isn't it better to just take the time and thank God for what he's just done in your life sometimes and be happy about that and be content and return and give him praise rather than quickly look over there and see what else you want. So many people see the glass as half empty instead of half full. It's better to take time to return and thank God for his goodness. He answered your prayer. Why don't you return to him and give him the praise that's due his name? If you'll focus on drawing near to him, 
In His presence, all your needs are met. He loves you and cares for you, and He just wants to bless you and shower you with blessings as you're in His presence. Return to Him. Give Him thanks. Spend time in His presence. Then finally, we read in the last verse that we're going to cover today up through verse 25. It says, And it came to pass when Rachel had born Yosef, that Yaakov said to Laban, Send me away now, that I may go to my own place and my own country. Now, no doubt, all of this contention and division is taking a toll on Yaakov. Division, arguing all the time is never pleasant. People blaming each other. People thinking they're better than the other person. People wanting to have others' things and they're not content with their own. It's not good. It's not good for anybody. It's just not good to be around all this division, arguing and fighting contention. And in a church, it's the same way. If you've got someone who's causing division and contention, get rid of them. That's what the Bible says, by the way. I'm not just being mean. The Bible says, get rid of the contentious person and division will cease. You're commanded to do that. When you try to let them stay on and hope that one day they'll change and they're gossiping about everybody else behind their backs and everything, that church, that congregation, that kehilah, that congregation is not going to be healthy. And eventually it's going to fall and it's going to split. Get rid of the contentious person and division will cease. It's not good to have all this contention. Yaakov was the same way. He wanted some place to where he could go to where finally there was some peace and quiet. All the battling between Yaakov's wives, the deception of Laban, their father, that's all Jacob could stand. And at this point, he just wants to go home. As the scriptures say, it's better to have a little with peace than it is to have great wealth with contention and arguing. So Yaakov will soon be leaving Laban and taking his wives and children back to Canaan with him. But there's something that you probably haven't noticed in this chapter, and here it is, the hidden story. It's tucked away between the lines of the verses. Oh, it's very real. And you'll find that the names of the children are where it's hidden. It's a hidden treasure that tells a story, not about Leah, not about Rachel, but about you about your life, about our lives as believers. Let me explain. If you look again briefly at the names of the babies they had, you'll stumble on the hidden story. Remember how I told you for a long time that Hebrew names have meanings. They're not just names that sound good. They have, they have meanings. Uh, what that child is like, what that child represents, as you see in the namings of these, these children today in our chapters so far. Hebrew names have meanings. Well, these Hebrew names are no different. And instead of just telling a little bit about the child that has that name, these names actually work together to tell a greater story, a hidden story, a story about God's love for us and His plan for His children, all those that believe on His Messiah. Let's look at these names a little closer. Let's go in order. Reuben, look, a son. Remember, we covered that. Shimon, the Lord heard that I'm unloved. That's what she had said, right? Levi, joined or attached. Judah, praise. This is what they said as they named the children. This is what they said the names meant. Dan, judge, as we covered today. Naphtali, wrestle, as we said today. God, a troop or reinforcements. Issachar, hired or to serve. Zebulun, dwell or habitate together. Yosef, add two. And then Benjamin, which is going to be the second son that Rachel has later in Genesis, meant son of my right hand. Ben, son. Yamin is how we say right. Bivrit are in Hebrew. Now let's look closer to that because maybe you're saying like, okay, Pastor Stephen, I get it. You're just, you're just covering again the names and what they said it meant. But have you looked a little closer and see what they all mean when they're put together? Reuben, see, a son. This points to Yeshua, the Son of God. Shimon, hearing. 
Hearing the good news or the gospel of the Son is what saves a person. Levy joined, referring to the union which the Holy Spirit makes in us when we hear the gospel and believe on the Son of God. Judah, Judah, the response of the redeemed after knowing that God has saved them from their sins. Don, judgment, the believer, although he's worthy of judgment for his sin, has passed from judgment to life through the atoning blood of Yeshua. Naphtali, wrestling, this speaks of the believer's life as he struggles in the world, struggles against the world, struggles against the carnality of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the devil and he's struggling against him and he's trying, the believer is trying to walk right, righteously, he's wrestling, he's struggling, you see. God, the troop or the company, the reinforcements, remember? This is talking about the fellowship of believers in the church and the household of faith. The result of fellowship is asher, or happiness, blessedness. Isikar, hired or serving. That simply means service, that once you come to the Lord, God has a calling for you that He wants you to serve with. You're part of the body of Christ. You have a function that others don't have. God has a calling for you. You have a service, Issachar, Zebulun, dwelling. You are here on this earth right now, and the Lord is going to come and get you one day and take you that where He is, there you may be also. But right now you are occupying, you are dwelling at this place until he comes back for you. And then Joseph adding, adding more, adding more to come, refers that while you're a believer on this earth, guess what? You're sharing with people the good news of Jesus the Messiah so that others will come into the kingdom of God. You're laboring in the harvest field of the Lord. And then Benjamin, which is a son that Rachel is going to have later, is referring to Yeshua. Benjamin, the son of my right. Remember, the son of my right hand is what Benjamin, Benjamin means. The son of my right hand. That's a reference to Yeshua who currently sits. After he was raised from the dead, he sits at the right hand of God. And to the believers who are seated with Yeshua in the heavenly places. And Yeshua does what? As he's at the right hand of the Father, he intercedes always, making intercession for them to the Father. Now maybe you're thinking, okay, Stephen, but what are you saying? I get the names, I get the meanings, okay. I see how you're trying to put it over into our lives as believers. Well, if you read them together then, think about this. It all becomes visible. Let's see what they say when we go through the names in order. The Son has come. Hearing the good news and believing saves you, and you will be joined to the Lord. Then you will praise God. Now judgment has passed over you. You struggle in the world for a while, but God is bringing others to Him through you, and you will be happy. And God will give you a calling to serve with. So dwell in the land, occupy the land until He comes, and God will use you to add others to His kingdom. Jesus, the Son, is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, interceding for you always. That's the hidden story. Scripture says that it is the glory of the Lord to conceal a matter and the honor of a king to discover it. You look at these verses, you pray. See what God shows you. I'm not asking you to come up with weird things. And if the interpretation you come up with doesn't agree with other verses, you better go back to the drawing board because God's word always agrees with God's word anywhere and everywhere else in God's word. But isn't it amazing? You can see that even in the middle of the Torah, God is testifying of His Son and the Gospel, His plan to save mankind. He tells you what He's doing in your life on earth and the eternal significance that it has for you and for others. Here's what I'm saying. God has a wonderful plan for you. 
This life is not just about physical stuff and things, things that you want to buy, things that you want to have, about keeping up with the world and living like everyone else. No, it's much higher than that. God has a high and noble calling, a wonderful plan for your life. And all you have to do is take your eyes off of these temporary things that decay, get old, that people can steal, that later you won't like as much and your eyes will be over here because you think the grass is greener over there. Now you need this and this. You'll go through life and you'll waste your life trying to get one thing after another to make you happy. And happiness will elude you. You'll never get happiness until you take your eyes off of these things and put them on the maker of heaven and earth, the Lord God Almighty. He has eternal treasures for you, and that's what life is really all about. Now, why don't you give your life to the Lord today, right now? You know, if you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry and He'll answer you, and He'll rescue you from that darkness that you're in. He'll shine His light on your heart, and you'll be given a new life. He'll change you into a new person. Throw away all those past failures and you'll be made completely new with a new start. And He'll give you everlasting life in heaven and that's guaranteed by God Himself. I'd like to give you an opportunity today to believe on Jesus as the Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace that we're talking about in your own life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. Just pray something like this. In fact, you can even repeat it after me if you'd like. Just say, God, I do want to know You and have real peace in life. I do believe on Your Son, Jesus Christ as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to You. Thank You, Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, God heard you. He's already started working in your life and a little seed's been planted deep down inside, inside your heart. And over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful things that God's making and doing in your life, in your heart. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him every day in His Word. Talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do beautiful things in your life.